time is the hard stuff. He's got uh, tw- uh, uh, one fifteen. He's got to be at another call. So like a little after one. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. People are joining. We'll just wait a minute. Oh, so you are waiting. Okay, waiting so, it's live. It's live though. You're broadcasting. So oh, hi everyone. <laughs> Welcome nice. back to Lightshed Live. <laughs> Slowly <That's> actually, evolving. <laughs> I, we got to work on your Twitter background, uh, you two. I mean, between Sri Ram and Adam, like you got some serious you know white walls. We also need some intro music. I'm on a on a MacBook Air and the firepower on the air is yeah they don't you, it doesn't support background yeah i have some great ones i can re-log back in i have one that just like yours rich that has shoes in the background except mine has toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> i've moved on from i've moved on from sneakers to toilet paper now since that's the real collectors i, I thought you and, were going to say that has sneakers but they're actually yours <laughs> you folks should be thankful that I got the nice office. Like a lot of folks, our house only has like one nice work from home setup. And my wife and I usually kind of have to discuss about who gets the nice office and who gets the, <laughs> you know, uh, the chair in the bedroom. So I got the nice space for you folks today. So you should appreciate it. And Adam, I enabled it so that you can share a screen if you want to at some point. I know you, uh, asked you, know if you could do that. I, probably based on time. I'll, we'll, I'll send it to you. Some of okay. the stuff that I've been seeing. It's actually really interesting. Okay, right, why don't we get started? So, uh, first of all, thanks everyone for joining Lightshed Live. We're really excited today to have two of what I think are the smartest, uh, you know, digital media product advertising people that I know in Adam Bain and Sriram um, Krishnan. You know, I think from the standpoint of the the universe they've both got pretty diverse experience working across multiple companies dealing with advertisers and the engineering and product sides of the universe uh they're both known well so i'm not going to go through their backgrounds uh walt pisick and um, brandon ross my partners at lightshed are joining us we're gonna have about an hour discussion please you'll see a q a box enter your questions we'll try to get to as many questions as we can over the course of the hour and um you know, I guess, first off, uh, you know, given the, the kind of COVID pandemic that we're all dealing with, and it's sort of crazy that we're all doing th- these calls from home, I-, I thought maybe, you know, everyone's been talking about how Zoom is exploding and how Netflix is exploding. And we're all, you know, Google Classroom is a top four app. My kids are literally on Google Classroom right now doing school. But I, I guess one of the questions is, as you look around, uh, Walt is having way too much fun with virtual backgrounds. Go on, Rich. Come on. Stay focused. No, you're, you're, you're making it, out, it very Rich. hard. You're making it very hard to be focused. But no, I, look, I guess the question to maybe to start off with is just what are you seeing out there? Like when you, whether you look at China, whether you look at the U.S. or, or even Europe, what are the things that, we're not, that are not being talked about enough in terms of change of consumer behavior? There are things that stand out that you look at and go, wow, that's really interesting as you, as you think about the pandemic that we're within. Yeah, I can start. I mean, I think um, something that everybody's talking about, um, but maybe no one's talking about the implications. Um, everybody's talking about Tiger King, um, but no one's really talking about if that Tiger King uh, could have happened on any other platform. Um, like, would people still be talking about it if it was on Amazon or if it's on Apple? And if not, it's a really interesting cue around the power of Netflix and kind of what, they, what they've done. Um, I think the U.S. households now uh, have surpassed a, a point where, you know, they, they are uh, 
what everybody's talking about, even though it's in a nonlinear fashion, right? You can, you can binge away. Um, so I think that's uh, super interesting. I think the other thing that people aren't talking about yet is um, just, uh, well, can you, can you ever imagine going to a movie theater again? I mean, as summer movies to me are totally done. Theaters are not opening. Um, and if they're open uh, this summer, which will be a surprise to me, nobody's going to go. Um, so I can't even imagine going to a theater or concert or any other place without temperature checks, temperature controls now as the new normal for any public gathering of, of uh, people. The biggest question to me is why haven't any of the stream, how, why haven't any of the studios started pushing uh, into streamers? I mean, some of the, some of the work that we've seen is that they're pushing out uh, some of their releases into 2021. I think there are some that think that we may be back to new normal this summer and are kind of holding out. Um, maybe we see Disney start to push because they, that would be a good uh, way to keep people in, in their ecosystem. That's another one. The other one is sports. Um, I, I used to work in the sports business, so I've been thinking a bunch about the sports uh, business overall. I mean, we're kind of witnessing the world's biggest A-B test right now for sports which is something that each one of the sports networks have always threatened uh, to each one of the cable operators and the, MS, uh, the, the, um, the uh, multi-video providers, which is, uh, will people cut the cord without live sports? We're now gonna actually really see if this is a thing. Um, and I think it's gonna, if it is a thing, it's gonna ripple through any of the rights uh, negotiations with a, with a pretty interesting a result. That said, this is cable in particular's uh, prime moment, I think, because the ROI on your cable subscription got pretty good, even though you don't have live, sp live sports. A lot of people are watching, obviously, TV. Right. You know, it's interesting. I think when you think about it, I think there are two time frames. The first is everyone on top of their minds right now is just trying to say, stay safe. They're all worried. They all haven't gone outside in what feels like forever right now. And I assume like, you know, for the next few months, that's probably going to dominate uh, our thinking. But I'm more curious about like what changes afterwards. Um, if you remember like six, seven years ago, do you folks remember the ALS Ice Bucket Video Challenge way back in the day? Uh, I did it. I remember. Oh, my gosh. And, and I was at Facebook at the time. And I remember this moment when um, they showed uh, the graph of video usage on Facebook. It was like a vertical steep line. But the interesting thing was uh, uh, once that... Uh, the phenomenon had ended, that line still stayed high. Because the very first time, it turned out that normal people learned that you could actually go share a video on Facebook, and it taught them behavior. So I think that phenomenon is happening now, where a lot of quote-unquote normal people are trying out pieces of technology that they wouldn't have, or uh, you know, they may not have done it to this extent for the very first time. Like think about uh, you know the Pope you know being on Facebook Live. Uh, think about just the number of people are now going live all the time. Uh, think about all the folks like you know who dabbled with remote work now fully on remote work. Now some of this will definitely ease off once we can all go outside and some more level of normalcy returns. But I think those things kind of shift what people think of as normal and are uh, used to. I mean, it could be things like business travel, right? Where <clears throat> what we're doing now is gonna you're going to say, why do I want to travel to whatever city if I can, I'm more comfortable with Zoom? But Cuban was making the point on the sports side 
that people are going to be that much more fired up to get back. <clears throat> and maybe, you know, some of the concerns you talked about in terms of like, you know, going to, to watch a movie, there could be like the flip side of that, which is like, I'm just jonesing for any type of live sports that if my friend goes and, you know, there's a couple empty seats in this, in the stadium, like week two, being able to go watch the Eagles or whatever, I'm, I'm going to be fired up to get back in that stadium. And I, I think people's memories can be pretty quick on this. Oh, well, I totally agree. I think in the current form, I can't see it. But I do think what this extended period of uh, quarantine has showed us is that people crave uh, social connections, real, uh, real physical uh, social connections. There's nothing like being in a stadium, in particular, watching live sports and For feeling sure. the roar of the crowd. The real question is, how do you actually get com- people comfortable to get there? Because I think this isn't one of those things that will just fade into memory over time. I do think uh, anytime we walk now into a physical location, um, we will have something. It may end up being theater, just like at the end of, uh, you know, at post 911, um, post 911, we essentially uh, have uh, a whole theater around going, going and getting on an airplane and the security that, that comes into it. I do think. You're looking at a situation now where in any physical location, you're actually going through temperature checks. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be interesting to see the knock-on effects for uh, arenas and stadiums and the like. Um, but I agree with you. I think, you know, the bounce back in terms of uh, people craving physical social connection is going to be huge. I, I mean, I can't wait to just get out of my house again. So I don't know about you folks. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this is driving me a bit crazy. Uh, actually, touch on something Adam said earlier, and I believe Jason spoke about this yesterday when you had him on. Uh, you're seeing a lot of these studios doing things for the very first time, obviously because they've been forced into it. But I suspect that consumers are going to go, hey, you know, why do I have to wait, you know, three months, six months, nine months uh, for to watch this movie? And this is going to fundamentally shift consumer here. Like, for example, you saw uh, Jason Blum's Invisible Man, which came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. A fantastic movie and uh, that was great I actually watched it at home great experience to watch it on Friday at home and I wonder whether this could shift consumer behavior because they now have a taste of what it feels like uh, to actually go watch a movie in the comfort of their houses and maybe it doesn't work for every movie I can't imagine watching an Avengers or you know the next Matrix sequel at home but for a lot of movies, I wonder whether this is permanently shifts consumer behavior and changes how studios think about this. Look, I yeah, think it I mean, would be, my... I, I was just going to say, like, look, I think it would be amazing to watch, you know, new movies at home. I, I think, look, the problem that you have is, you know, they're trying it with trolls next week. And, you know, obviously lots of kids at home and dearth of new kids content. There's obviously lots of adult content you're seeing, like what Netflix has done. Um but you know, like I, I, is that I good wonder, content, Rich? It, look, it's good content. It's not blockbuster <laughs> content. Uh, you know, so when you when you look at some of it, uh, look, Tiger King. I mean, King, you should I mean, go back t- to Adam's comment of like, does Tiger. something like Tiger King succeed on any platform other than Netflix? Because, like, is that good content? Was the Blindfold movie good content, or is it just succeeding because of the platform? Well, Matt, maybe macro question here is um, how unprepared everybody was. Um, but especially the traditional TV networks have been with programming. You know, mm-hmm. um, in fact, you know, if you think about youth sports as a good example, all of a sudden you have zero live sports going on. You could imagine the types of creativity that you could have in programming right now, but it's not there. 
In fact, most of the innovation is actually happening on platforms like Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and Twitter right now. Uh, LeBron tweeted out, or LeBron tweeted out uh, yesterday, I think, uh, that he was going to go back through his old games uh, on one of the live platforms. He mentioned Instagram Live uh, to go do play-by-play for what he was thinking. I mean, this is just... Walt, have you seen what Joe Buck is doing on Instagram? Oh, Oh, that's me. Yeah, we've all seen that. No one, no one needs. No, to I do not follow Joe Buck on Instagram. If you can yeah. imagine that, uh, I, I see one of the uh, the questions. Is, is that like this. a show that lasted three episodes? Is it going to be one of the same things? <laughs> uh, I see one of the questions touching on this, which is, you know, can esports and video games uh, fill in the niche? I think it's super interesting right now because yeah. I don't know, folks, before the folks seen this, the NBA is running a tournament. I don't know whether the NBA running it, but you know, they have all, you know, like Kevin Durant, yeah, all these players the actually started. playing NBA 2K20. Uh, F1 is more interesting because F1 is actually simulating races with uh, the actual F1 professional drivers and esports yeah. drivers, which is actually been amazing to watch because just because of the way the games are constructed, it actually looks like uh, the real race. So you're seeing some real, uh, creativity happen uh, across content. The other thing that's interesting, and I think Rich spoke about this when he sent out the email, and like, I'm a huge fan of the WWE, and they are like a fundamental like live events business, and they have what the equivalent of their Super Bowl, WrestleMania, happened this weekend. Um, and they've been doing some really interesting new things without having an actual crowd. Uh-oh. New creative changes happen here. And some of which may not work, some of which may not last, but some of which people are going to be like, hey, there's actually fun content that I want to go see. Can, you, can we maybe talk a little bit um, about the ad market? And uh, obviously, it, it's going to be an extremely tough time for the ad market right now. Are there relative losers and relative winners um, that, that you guys see? Look, everything, everything is bad right now out there uh, across the ecosystem. Um, probably the best, and I was uh, telling Rich this uh, yesterday, um, there's a, a service out there called iSpot TV uh, where you can go look at um, the actual ad creatives, the actual ad spots uh, week on week um, for what major advertisers are doing in the spot market. The interesting thing is most of the creative has totally changed messaging. So they picked up COVID messaging. Um, if you look through any of the uh, quick serve restaurants, they all have moved to either uh, drive through messaging or uh, COVID pickup uh, messaging. Literally, there's a Burger King uh, ad where they show a plastic box being handed over uh, to somebody to take their credit card info and try and hand it back. Um, so I think, uh, I think that's been interesting to watch to see the creative completely change and switch over into, into COVID uh, messaging. That said, I mean, most of what I'm hearing are around pretty big gaps. In fact, I was just talking to a TV buyer yesterday um, who told me that they're seeing about a 20 to 25% drop in pricing uh, this week in uh, linear um, wow. And part of the reason for that is obvious that, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, have a bunch of uh, people both in the spot and in the traditional market who have, uh, who have backed out. You know, the, the big TV buyers are all people that crave this big physical touch. Do you see a Macy's, you know, advertisement on TV right now? No, of course not. 
Um, you know, the other, the only other surprising thing for me in there was how much auto is still running, uh, right now in the spot market, because we've you know, seen the same not, thing. It's kind of bonkers. Like you're not going for test drives. Um, but yet the messaging has continued to go. So, uh, maybe it may be that the luxury market in particular, like now that I think about it is some of the luxury, uh, manufacturers that were running ads there. Um, so maybe there's something about the luxury market either being delayed. Um, but, uh, go check, go check that service out. It's pretty amazing to, to look at the actual creative that people are running right now. What about um, weird things? I think a lot of, uh, you know, our consumer tech companies are seeing is you never see a phenomenon where your usage is uh -oh. There is pulling back demand. And this is kind of like this unique moment in time where if you talk to any one of the fang, I mean, like you know, the advertising supported like large platform companies, they're all seeing usage go, go up. They're all just struggling to just keep the servers up and running. But obviously, you know, every advertiser is pulling back. So it's kind of just like a bizarre, surreal phenomenon, which I don't think it ever really uh, happens. I think the other phenomenon I think I'm hearing about is, um, look, there are sectors like travel, hospitality, which are obviously deeply impacted. But across the board, I think the folks who are closer to measuring the customer and closer to measuring the purchase are actually maybe better positioned. Uh, it's actually a great time to go out and buy if you have like an e-commerce company and you can actually go measure the efficacy of your ad spend. So I'm hearing a lot of anecdotal data of upticks in direct response, performance asks. Yeah, Sorry, Ron, we, we lost you for a second. You want to just say that again, the last part? Uh, yeah, he's frozen. I think what he was saying is the direct response yeah, businesses. You have people spending more time online, and you, you obviously have much better measurement. This is a fantastic time to go out and bid on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm hearing a lot of stories of people doing that. Yeah, though, the, to be clear, what's actually happening when you dig deeper is the reason why the performance stuff is getting all of a sudden more performant is because most of the brands have bounced out. And so by bouncing out, it's meant that the prices have come down. So all of a sudden, people's CACs get magically better in a moment like this. And it's because the auctions are so much thinner. Right. And if you remember, uh, a month ago, people are expecting this to be a very expensive time because this was election season, right? And the idea was in the run-up to election season with the Olympics coming, it was going to be really expensive to go buy ads because you have all these folks competing in the auction but now, you know, with the Olympics gone and, you know, it's hard to even think of the election anymore that, you know, the auction prices have all dropped and, you know, have, uh, you know, open season. I mean, we're hearing about pricing online, CPMs dropping 30, 40, 50 percent week, just week to week. I mean, just things we've never, ever seen happen. Yeah. Just to put the TV drop in perspective. So uh, buyers are were expecting in Q2 a 20% hike over Q1. So the fact that it's down 20% means that the actual uh, gap there is not, is not, you know, a 20% gap. It's much, much greater than that. So it just gives you a sense of uh, how much inventory right now is going unsold, especially around these linear platforms. The other uh, obvious thing that you could look at is how much inventory is actually going to the ad council. I was a member of the ad council for many years. It's a fantastic organization. It basically takes unsold inventory uh, donated from each one of the uh, major, major inventory providers. Um, you'll see most of the COVID messaging on uh, TV and in other platforms right now are coming from the ad council, but it gives you a sense of, you know, what kind of share and percentage 
right now is going to, to ad council. That's mostly a clue as well that people are pulling buys at last minute. And so I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now. It's happening in the app business. One of the questions we just got, Adam, is do you think this will lead to, actually for both of you, this would be a good question to ask from a product standpoint. Do you think we actually see a cutback in inventory because you, as, as demand sort of dries up or weakens, do you actually cut the supply uh, to kind of keep demand or you know, to kind of keep that auction dynamic there? Because a lot of them have expanded inventory pretty significantly over the course of the last few years because there's been such incredible demand on the other side. It should. And actually, it's ironic because uh, you, you talked to uh, Jason uh, yesterday, um, and this was Jason's big, one of Jason's big points um, when he bounced out of Hulu was around uh, the total amount of uh, ad load uh, that each one of the networks and content owners were actually um, uh, asking him to, to run. Um, look, the, the fascinating thing just in general, especially around linear, is uh, you've had years around supply and demand where uh, the total denominator of people watching television was shrinking. And therefore, um, it meant that pricing, because there was a smaller supply, the demand, the price went through the roof. And so TV advertising for many years was getting more expensive and more expensive is more expensive. It's counterintuitive, right? Because the audience was getting smaller, but it was still really valuable. Um, and they were going to run into a really interesting problem, which is the ROI of TV advertising would just flip, right? There was so few, you know, yep. take it to the extreme. If there's one person watching, it would have, you know, a, a billion dollar CPM essentially. And that's not good ROI to pay. And so that I thought for many years was going to drive the shift over harder uh, from TV advertising into, into digital channels. What's happening now, though, is uh, since the demand, the total number of advertisers are not advertising right now, it's meant the pricing is coming back down. So I think maybe you've got a momentary uh, stay of, uh, of uh, stalling on some of the shifts that I've been talking about in TV. Um, yes, I do think in, re in response to that, uh, they should cut back uh, the ad pods and the ad slots. If at the very least, just in terms of negotiating with buyers, it will create that constraint again that they need uh, for supply. The sort of amazing thing though, just to stick on this topic, one last part, point on this before Brandon uh, shifts the topic is when you think about the, the TV audience, what we found amazing, we saw some data come out over the last couple of days, 18 to 49 primetime viewership is actually still down. Now it's down less than it was three weeks ago, but they really are all watching Netflix. They're all playing games. Like they're, they're not, you know, this is not a surge in 18 to 49 year old adults watching television. Overall, it's up because the, the over 50s are watching more, obviously, but it's just sort of shocking to me that even in this environment, literally stuck at home 24-7, people are just not turning on linear television, and it's only going to get worse as we move into the summer because there'll be no new content, and I think it's just, to go back to where you started, I think it's the fact that there's just no sports on TV. I think that's yeah, the big problem. Say, yeah. I was going to say, what if there was sports? That would be interesting to know uh, because it I bet be you up, it would be, it would be up a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, I think, and this is just me thinking out loud, that the value of the linear bundle has actually gone up in, in this crisis, despite viewership being down. And my guess would be that more people, more individuals are actually watching TV 
than ever before because of the importance of news. News has never been as important as it is now. And I think the platform where news has been framed the best, with all apologies to Twitter, because that's important too, has been on linear TV. Yeah, it's outside uh, of linear, uh, and I think this kind of is one of the questions which just came up. By the way, I see Joe Marquez there. I think he might be a good person to like have hop in at some point. You know, one of the questions I think uh, is: Does this mean more concentration? <laughs> does this mean more concentration of the platform players? I think on digital, I think that's definitely going to happen. Like, if you're an ad buyer, you know, uh, and you're pulling back, it's just easier to spend money with Google and Facebook and the you know the really large platforms. So I suspect that the end of this, uh, you know, the large platform players, uh, you know, are probably going to be wind up much better positioned, uh, and other players might have like a really rough time. We got to work, work on Sri Ram's broadband connection. Sri Ram, last time out, brief interlude. Who who is your ISP? Uh, no comment. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's amazing, um, Brandon. Yeah, I, it's it's actually not what I what I was going to talk about before, but I'm just curious for Sriram um, because now you're, we're really seeing everyone working from home, and you've managed engineering teams. How much does work from home, if at all, slow down product development? Um. I think, well, I think all of Western civilization, all civilization is about to go find out right now. Uh, look, I think it really depends on the culture of the company. Um, I think what you're seeing is some companies like GitLab or, uh, you know, even Twitter, which I think has been very leaning into a distributed development, better positioned because they have historically built the muscle, built the cultural capabilities to act product development work. I think other companies, I think Apple's a good example. There's been some good stories about how does Apple do development are probably going to struggle because they haven't had the muscles and the work that they do, which is like actual hardware devices, harder to build. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's definitely harder if you're not culturally uh, set up for it. Uh, I think the companies which have already done it and, you know, have, you know, are open to it are probably going to come out ahead. And I think everyone else is going to get a crash course. But across the board, everyone is slower. Also, I think the other thing you have to realize is this is not classic work from home. This is a very unique situation. For example, any parent that I know is struggling right now because, you know, in, in California, we have sheltered home. You don't have nannies. You don't have daycare. So, you know, you have kids running around. Um, it's really hard to get any work done. So this is a unique moment in time, which may not be uh, representative of actual distributed work from home policy. But I think across the board, we're going to struggle. The company's culture determines how much you struggle. I One think of the companies I cover, Cogent, they, they have a business where they sell to, to corporate. And in their, in their case, they, it's all through CRM and they're monitoring what their salespeople are doing as far as outbound calls and inbound calls. So, I mean, there could be some additional oversight or big brother aspects and technology purchases as a result. Oh, we have a new, we, you <laughs> Joe? I think so. Let's see if I did it right. I've never done this. Hello? Hey, Joe. I, why can't oh. I see your audio? Hold on. Hold on. Who I got to figure this my out. Audio? Uh, I'm getting there. No, no, I'm going to make it here. Promote the panelists. There we go. I think. Amazing. No, you just knocked him off. No, no, no I think no, he's, he's there. Oh. Uh, there he is. Oh, hey, 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 hey. Going on. Going on. What's up? So, 
So, well, Joe, ask, ask your question. Joe, why don't you, you're on mute, but I think you're on mute. Why don't you uh, give your two uh, cents? There it is. <laughs> Hold on, unmute. Oh, there I, it is. I, I muted it because it was getting echo. You, you mute when you're not talking. You, guys, there's all sorts of Zoom protocol here. And do you know, you know holding the space bar unmutes you? And that is actually the best way. So you hold spacebar to talk and then you let go and you're just back on mute. There, there's so much, there's like Emily Post needs to write something. It's like push to talk. The old Nextel is back. <laughs> yeah. I just keep talking. I just never stop talking. That's my interrupt. Even when he freezes up, he keeps talking. <laughs> I think it's Comcast's fault, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, the, look, the question I have for you guys, I'd love both of your perspectives, but because like this is something I'm just thinking constantly about, like the agency model, like the problem, Adam, that you were describing earlier, it, it isn't a problem with like getting to one CPM in a billion. I mean, that would be interesting. The problem is that the currency of CPM, like frequency is uncapped because that's the only way to deliver the volume of dollars. And so now we're going to get to a place where you know, does this shock to the system allow the agency client relationship to change in some way that will allow the market to get better? Because there is just there, like, it feels to me like this is going to be a shock to the system to the way the advertising market works at that level. But I just, I don't know what that looks like. Like what, like what you guys are going to think you're going to say. Uh, I mean, look, the, this, uh, well, one, I think all the agencies are massively hurting right now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what, in an extended period, what happens to the agencies themselves, especially the public companies, um, because they all, I think, are in uh, uh, dangerous situations, especially because every single customer and client right now is calling their agency, asking them to delay uh, billing, to, you know, pull campaigns, to uh, shift work uh, one day from the other. And so I don't think there's a, a bunch of rhyme and reason uh, coming out of the client to the agency. The agency is almost in an untenable situation where um, they really are going to get squeezed in terms of uh, in the middle uh, on the margins. Um, you know, I do think uh, it's you had some of the agencies that were, were trying to move more towards this outcome based model. And it was partly because some of the clients were pushing them there. It's interesting to see, Joe, if they would actually, if this moves uh, completely to an outcome-based model uh, as a result, seems hard because you don't have a agreed upon outcome by which to, to measure on. Um, you know, uh, what's other, the other interesting thing that I saw in some of the data is that CPG is still uh, spending right now. Um, makes sense because people are, can still go to the store and buy product. Um, I think if CPG shuts down spend, that may be the thing that ultimately uh, drives the market one way or another. I'm curious, what what would you see? What did you have in mind, or what did you what would you have seen um, in uh, in shifts? Yeah, you know, I I think the performance and output is hard because you can't. It just it doesn't compare to to digital in in any way. What time horizon are you are you gauging performance on? You can't control competitors in the market. Like I always struggled with, you know. Okay, Ford, we're in it with you. We're going to help you sell cars, but you also work with Toyota, don't you? Like so, like like they work with everybody across all, right. all verticals. So how could they possibly be in the outcomes game? Um, so that's that's it's really tough. I mean, the agency is a little more. The media buyer, the media companies can't do it, right? Like like the Foxes and Disney. Because they have to take dollars from everybody. Because they have to take dollars from everybody. And so the market market drives it. 
you know, I, I, I think the thing that's interesting is how much local is going to suffer because of small businesses totally pulling out of the market. And remember, of national ad time, so much time is local. And then at the local level, like if that dries up, like that softens the entire market kind of comes down. And I think the the answer is is a reduction in frequency and, a, and actually an increase in price. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how with the current currency system that the industry uses, I don't know how it corrects for what's about to happen. And that's that's that's, I think, the hard part. Yeah, I'm hearing already that uh, most of, you'll have to go back and look. I think most of the holding companies have pulled their earning estimates for 2020. Most of them have frozen hiring. Most of them have already instituted pay cuts. Um, and so you're also dealing with, you know, to your earlier question, Rich, you know, these are companies, the agency holding companies are ones that ultimately are struggling with trying to stay connected in a remote work environment. I mean, these are, these are uh, the agencies in particular weren't exceptional uh, in terms of, um, you know, being remote work, uh, forethought, you know, having forethought around remote work. These were high-touch um, businesses. Also, yeah, there were high-touch businesses um, that were already working long hours, um, you know, together. And so you put in remote work in a completely new situation. I think that's stressing. I think the other, the other thing is that the agencies are all pushing on the publishing partners or the networks around flexibility, um, because the, the clients are turning around and asking the agencies, at, uh, uh, two questions. One like how do they market in this time of crisis? And then two, how fast uh, will the rebound be? And the truth is like the agency doesn't know either, but this is a moment where, um, you know, kind of no one knows. And as a result, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, pulling back as, as, a, as an answer, not uh, moving forward. And so I think the agencies are really uh, stuck. Tram, Tram, I'd be interested. Do you think there's going to be a different uh, um, kind of reaction to this, given the different positioning of Google and Facebook as really getting to direct response more and more and, and Snap and even Twitter, to some extent, doing a lot more brand and live events? Like, do you think that the platforms have a different reaction to the small business and then and in terms of what the bounce back will look like? Um. Well, you know, you know, like, I mean, Joe knows this, you know, I've historically been a believer that the advertising world is going to shift more to outcomes-based, you know, measurement over time. And I think, look, if you look at like Google and uh, Facebook, they have been pushing that message for a while. Facebook especially has been like uh, pushing that message for a while. So I think they are really well positioned already. Uh, and they don't, neither of them really have a lot of small business advertising, which makes up like a large chunk of uh, revenue for them. Definitely, I think, I think Facebook doesn't, I haven't looked at the Google numbers. So I don't think either of them are deeply impacted the way linear television is uh, in this uh, sense. Now, of course, they're obviously everyone's hurting because across the board, you're seeing ad spend being pulled back. But I, you know, I something I was saying earlier, I think if you look two years from now, I think you want to see the large platform companies be really well positioned. They have consumer behavior up across the board. They have consumers trying out new kinds of behavior. And though there is like a short term pullback in spend, um, you know, you're going to see ad spend follow consumer behavior. So I think all the large platforms are going to be very well positioned once we are out of this.
Do you think that DR companies do have a big, a big problem and that they can't get in their warehouses or can't get their, their employees to work in the warehouses? And so well, definitely, but I think that's, you know, I think you have it's to fine. that is a short-term problem. Look, we have this weird moment I, in time where... I, I hear you, it's a short-term problem, maybe. The question is, no one knows how long this will go. And isn't, so, isn't, isn't it Keynes who said, in the, is, it, is it Keynes or the other one, in the long run, we're all dead? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I, look, I, I want to shift the topic. Um, I'm going to put Joe back to attendee. If you've got other questions, please, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll wave in anybody who wants to join. Um, Joe wants to raise your hand. He has to work his way through it. And we'll have Joe back, right, Joe? We will. Yeah, I'll come, I'll come on sometime. We'll talk about this. It'll be fun. Uh, here, how do we do this? I don't even know how to do this. Stop video. Um, so the next question for you two is, we were talking a lot about live video, uh, whether we're thinking about uh, Instagram Live or Facebook Live. I mean, we're seeing kind of live video explode everywhere. I mean, Facebook even put out a press release about it. But, you know, nobody really knows how to monetize live video. And I guess just as you think about product side, like what, what are the ideas? Like how could we take it? You know, you see everybody's going on Instagram live and talking to people directly, celebrities, athletes, like there's literally no way to make money on this. Um, any ideas? Uh, it, it's I think that's, you know, that's, I think that's the question on like a lot of people's minds at these big platform companies. And I think, look, the question you have to ask is like, where, in the world has live video made money. And if you look at the Asian companies, you see a lot of folks actually have real revenue generating businesses, which are much more of the influencer uh, subscriber model. Uh, for a bunch of reasons, they haven't really taken off in the US yet. Uh, and I think what you're going to see is uh, all the platform companies experiment, experiment with subscriptions, uh, experiment to give Which box? Uh, We're experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> or, at least, or at least Shriram is. Uh, no, uh, I know this was Shriram, get I mean, everybody on your, on your house off the network. Uh, he's a, he's uh, only got a one-year-old. How much bandwidth could she possibly be consuming? She's on TikTok all the time. Um, <laughs> which we're going to talk about. No, I think, look, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of explanation. I think the key to having great ads is you need the combination of an audience. You need a combination of a perfect ad format. And nobody's really figured it out in a live video in Western countries yet. I think you want to people see, uh, you're going to see people copy these, uh, you know, Chinese apps which have subscriptions or people giving gifts to uh, people who are going online. You're going to see a lot of product experimentation across the board. Uh, there are a couple of places. One is on esports and Twitch streaming. Like uh, the idea of like paying people on Twitch subscriptions is actually is something which actually has some real momentum. It doesn't get uh, spoken of, uh, um, and I think you might see like much broader versions of that. But I think across the board, you're going to see a lot of experimentation. I think there's two models that just are obvious. Ads is going to be hard um, for a number of reasons. Ads is great. Ads right now won't work, um, both for the demand side and then also just the uh, instrumenting on the publisher side. Um, you know, these are uh, making it 
devastatingly easy to run a live campaign where you've got uh, you can cut to the commercial and then come back. Like it just is going to be too hard right now. So I think there's two things. One is pay-per-view, um, although maybe hard to, to see working in a down economy. Um, but pay-per-view works, uh, obviously. And then two um, is what Sri Ram was saying. Um, it's mostly around virtual items uh, in terms of people giving uh, items to the actual broadcaster um, or paying for things to kind of level up in the live broadcast. There's a really good example of this working today, um, though it's a really, uh, it's, it's just in a, a platform and it's in, in, in its infancy. Um, I think you guys may have come through, when you came through with your uh, group last year, you may have even visited them, um, and that's Caffeine TV. Ben's former uh, designer at Apple um, and uh, helped uh, work on uh, uh, Apple TV, uh, came over to Caffeine. It's basically um, live broadcasting, but they've branched out into content, so they've got Drake and a bunch of other uh, folks that are doing uh, more content focused uh, instead of just uh, esports uh, focused, and the big mon- the thing to pay attention there is the monetization idea, which is you go into caffeine.tv, uh, you start interacting, and then you uh, can purchase uh, virtual items and virtual goods to stand out in the broadcast or to give to the broadcaster, uh, or eventually to even give to other people in the broadcast. We talked about TikTok, or at least Sriram brought up TikTok. I, I think yeah. everyone worldwide is sort of fascinated by TikTok, but maybe just, you know, Sriram, it's the only company that you haven't worked at in the big platforms right now. So, uh, you know, I, I guess the betting odds are that you'll be at TikTok in 12 months, but but leave that aside for, for a second. Um, what is it about the product that kind of, wh- why does it work so well? Like, what have they figured out that nobody else has? Oh. Uh- uh, I think like TikTok is fascinating. If you are a product manager or if you have any interest in consumer product, it's so worth you kind of trying to break it apart. Uh, I think the top few things that come to mind are number one is um, when you sign up, you actually don't need to sign up at all. You get dropped right into content. It shows you something uh, out of the gate and you're immediately interacting and getting value from the app without having to pick a username, without having to do anything. So uh, they have nailed this sign-up onboarding flow in a way which I think like no other platform really has. That's one. Second is having an implicit ranking algorithm. Like think about Facebook. You know, Facebook needs to know who your friends are and what you're interacting with. Twitter is all about you connecting you to accounts and topics you follow. Uh, TikTok doesn't ask you for any of that. It just like you... The more you watch something, the more you swipe up, TikTok can implicitly take those signals. And the key there is you don't have to do any work and they control all the levers to actually have you swipe things up. I think the third is uh, they are really good at setting a cultural tone for what actually works on the platform. It's like they have like a thumb on the lever about like, hey, we can make these kinds of creators go viral because they control the algorithm. We can make these kinds of dances, these kinds of co- this kind of content go really viral. And that's really powerful because they can actually really shape the community and actually, you know, kind of put their thumb on the scale and, you know, figure out what kind of content works and really make it explode. The second is if you are a new creator and you sign up for TikTok, you you know that 
I'm, I'm literally going to come out and fix this broadband just, myself. Just wait. It'll come back. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, it, it's, I think it's a little harder on some of these other platforms to immediately get like a million followers. But on TikTok, every teenager knows that on day one or day two, you can get like a million followers or a couple of million followers. I think that's something really uh, powerful there. Uh, you know, I think all of this combined, along with the fact that, you know, they have figured out how to tap into a teen cultural uh, zeitgeist, zeitgeist makes them really, really fascinating. Who, Sriram, from your perspective, um, who, who is at risk from all the engagement among, among the major platforms um, that's happening on TikTok right now? And, and that's both from an engagement perspective and eventually they're going to build a really big ad business, I would assume. And Adam, you could weigh in on that. Um, who, do you, who do you think um, that's going to cannibalize? Well, on one hand, you know, uh, I think about like, what is the job that TikTok is doing? I think one of the questions we were discussing what we're going to talk about, I think Rich was asking about like, hey, does TikTok cannibalize from YouTube, for example? I think TikTok serves a very particular form of content, you know, the dancing, the comedy, which is fantastic, but I don't see it taking over gaming. I don't see it taking over like so much of the content, which is like really popular on YouTube, for example. So I think one is uh, TikTok is growing rapidly, but there's a particular kind of content that really works for them. And uh, so I think you kind of have to, you know, put that in perspective. I think the second is from an audience perspective, uh, look at the other platforms uh, and I would look at which other platforms have young people, teenagers uh, uh, really using them and they would probably the, be the most at risk. Like the other platform, sorry, Brian, go ahead. I was gonna say like a snap, but do you, do you think that the growth of TikTok's ad business and for you too, Adam, is gonna impact Snap's growth at all? Because they they've been pretty, clear in saying that they don't believe that to be the case. Look, I think uh, TikTok, uh, I've got a couple takes on TikTok. One is um, just in general, this is a company that has spent a massive amount in customer acquisition. And so everybody today thinks, wow, it's such a viral, uh, a viral phenomenon. They were spending between three and $5 million a day uh, in uh, customer acquisition, just in the U.S. alone. Um, I think in 2019, they probably spent about a billion dollars in uh, promotion for TikTok. That was even pre a launch on advertising. Uh, so this is a company that basically has plotted out and said, we're going to go uh, garner a huge audience first and go hook people around it. So that gives you a sense of how big the ambition is at ByteDance uh, overall. Um, in terms of the ad business, look, I, I do think around the edges right now, uh, TikTok has a very small ad business, especially in, uh, in the U.S. and across, um, uh, across the West. Um, so I don't think it's going to have any meaningful effect right now on Snap's business or on Instagram's business or on YouTube's business. It's just a, it's just a small number. Um, and for the most part, you know, advertisers and agencies have already dialed in their commitment and their forecast and their muscle movement with, with each one of those platforms. So I don't think like in, you know, even a pre-COVID 2020 world, you would have seen uh, people moving over uh, budgets from one to the other. It wasn't that you know, zero sum. 
Um, over the long term, if you still see this type of audience engagement and this type of usage, uh, it may be the case that um, you'll start to see some budget movements, but it's really just a, a question then around how do the ads perform? Because again, the advertising business is more sophisticated than just here's how many users you touch in a given you know month or in a given week or in a given day or whatever. It, it's uh, TV is not it, so sophisticated, it, by the way. <laughs> so is it impossible no, for anyone? Adam, is it is it impossible for anyone to displace him? Because I remember, I don't know. It feels like a couple of months ago there was that Byte app that that appeared, and and then it kind of we haven't heard much. I mean, they have does Byte have to spend a ton of money to to kind of get any share? Look, I think case? it's no. It's, when we talk about TikTok having such a uh, such a hold on youth, I, my point is it's not a surprise. They spent their way to get there, partly showing you that advertising does work uh, um, uh, overall. But so how, can um, something like Byte, how can something like Byte succeed then unless they're going to spend a ton of money? Look, I think it's, uh, I think, um, well, I, I, Byte is an interesting one, especially because uh, it's, Dom's product. Dom was the founder and creator of Vine. You could almost say TikTok should not exist. It should have been Vine uh, overall um, that stepped up into the gap. I think the thing that's going to be compelling to watch is we've gone through the first inning maybe of TikTok, which is the audience growth uh, perspective. In terms of monetization, the thing that they really need to get right which I'm not convinced they're there, that they're there yet, is uh, the thing that um, Vine missed on, which is uh, creator monetization and ultimately giving creators a real way to grow their business on the platform and ultimately to make a, a living uh, on the platform as a result. I think all of these platforms are just at the early, earliest innings there. It'll be interesting to see if they move their product development in that, in that range. The, uh, I talked to somebody last night who's got access to the creator tools at TikTok, and you know their view was that uh, it's a good start, but they're very, very rudimentary. Uh, I think the question I uh, if you go back six or seven years ago, Instagram did not have messaging. Instagram could not you could not post videos on Instagram. You definitely could not go live. Uh, if you go back like just five years ago, Snap was only a chat app. There was no stories. There was no discover. So I think the question for TikTok is, look, they have really nailed this 10-second um, fun um, musical content format and amazing, you know, it's so unique. But can they expand that use case? Can they get longer forms of video? Uh, can they get different kinds of audience? Can they get live? Can they get more of social messaging? And I think that also opens up other monetization opportunities uh, for them. Just like when Snap did Discover, it opened up much more premium um, Ad budget. I think that's what's going to be really fascinating to see whether can TikTok expand the kinds of use cases it goes after rather than just the one they have today. Well, what I think is interesting, right, is that we're still in, a, in, in an environment where if you think about the platforms, Google has completely failed in social. Twitter really hasn't executed in so like messaging, communications. It's not what people use Google for. It's not what people use Twitter for. I mean, me DMing Adam and, and you, Sriram, is like the only, you know, it's not an average user behavior. You know, it, I think of TikTok, no one's, no one's communicating on TikTok. Whereas, you know, if you think about a platform like Snapchat, it still has that lock hold, just like iMessage for us or WhatsApp for us. They still have that lock hold on, on communications. And all of these other platforms that are content platforms, 
just haven't figured out how to layer in communications at all. And it, it seems like one of the biggest failures of Google to date. And I'd say the same thing, obviously, it's much earlier for TikTok. But I wonder how important ultimately getting communications on platform is critical to, to long term success. Right. You know, I, you know, I think about if I were TikTok, I would look at uh, companies like and you know, I'm like a small investor. So disclaimer, companies <laughs> like Cameo. Right, like you know, uh, you know, with Cameo. For Who, those of you Cameo's know, doing a great thing also for COVID, where they're donating three days worth of Cameos all to uh, people in need. So we should just give a shout out to what Stephen's doing. Yeah, you know, and by the way, they are you know having an amazing time these last few weeks, and obviously just leaning in. And the interesting about Cameo is it actually solves some of those creator monetization problems. And it does it in a way which feels native and organic to the product experience. So I think the challenge for TikTok is these creators all follow where the audience is. So tomorrow, if you have some other social viral consumer app, which has a larger audience, they run the risk of losing their creators. You see this happening on uh, Twitch today, where Twitch is facing pressure from uh, Mixer uh, and YouTube taking away Ninja taking away uh, some of their premium content creators. So if I were TikTok, I'd be trying to figure out how do I get deeper relationship with these creators where they just won't follow somebody with a larger audience. One of the were saying this, by the way, I just got, uh, I just got a uh, friend request from Will Quist um, on the Citizen app, which and you can message that's, on the that's public app. That's public safety, right? I mean, that's the one where it yeah. follows you, right? Yeah, so kind of bonkers in terms of who knew that uh, an app like that actually had messaging, but it's kind of to your point. I mean, Nextdoor has messaging. I mean, you know, it's lightly used. I mean, there's there's lots of apps that have messaging. I'm just saying that it's it's sort of crazy how some of the big platforms that are used every single day just haven't figured out how to nail communications for whatever reason we just we get stuck in x number of platforms that we message on it doesn't matter though even at this point there's so many places to message that it's it's, it's almost good, for me it's overkill <laughs> it's a good point it's a retention hook mostly for these certainly not a monetization hook um since there's not uh at least the the prime directive for most of these companies right now they don't have the type of uh, infrastructure that you see at wechat um which actually has nailed both messaging and a broader ecosystem of how to extend messaging into something uh, that's all encompassing from a monetization standpoint. Um, you know, maybe Facebook will be the the only one that has a run at this. I, that's my view of what they're doing with uh, Libra and Cal Libra um, is a payments infrastructure ultimately that they can use in WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger. Uh, to try and replicate what you're seeing in Asia with WeChat, you know, with WeChat, ultimately you're, it's part of, it's, it's your WhatsApp, but it's also your Skype, your Facebook, your Uber, your Tinder, your Amazon, your Instagram, your Venmo, um, your Yelp. And so they basically, by having this payment infrastructure stretch across all those things, they basically have created almost like an, a closed loop app store uh, system where they where they own and control the the payment uh, vehicle. There's no one here in the in the West that's actually done that yet, um, and that may be the reason why you've seen sub movement into messaging in some of these Western apps uh, for retention hooks. 
but that's all it is. It's not a monetization play. Yeah, I think, honestly, I think it's going to be really hard. Uh, Facebook, by the way, has actually tried a couple of times to monetize Messenger. And, you know, I'm not sure either of them have really taken off any of the Messenger bots or the ads inside Messenger. I think WeChat is so unique, or even Kakao or Line or some of these others, because they actually took the place of other things that work in the West. I mean, WeChat takes the place of the it takes uh, the role of the App Store, but we have a fantastic App Store where you can just download the app and people are just used to that. I think it's going to be really hard to replicate that. Uh, um, I'm not as bullish, honestly, on figuring out messaging here. Sriram, hey, everybody says that WhatsApp ranks as one of the best acquisitions ever. Are you saying now that it's one of the worst ever? Look, it's an interesting thought, right? I mean, they they spent uh, a tremendous amount of uh, of money uh, acquiring it um, under a guise probably of here's how we monetize, yet they haven't brought any monetization over. So is it one of the worst acquisitions ever? No, I, I think uh, his, if you look at history, I think it'll go down as one of the best acquisitions of all time. A couple of reasons. One is, you know, Facebook's mission is to make the world a more open and connected place. And WhatsApp, you know, is by far the dominant way people connect all over the world. So it makes sense that Facebook owns that. Uh, second, you know, uh, you know uh, look, India is going through a bizarre time right now, just like everyone else. But you now have 1.3 billion people locked indoors. You know, and you just go look at Twitter for all the weird things which the cops do to you in India if they catch you outside. So you're seeing like WhatsApp usage across the board just spike. The Indian prime minister, for example, is using WhatsApp to officially answer questions. So one is I think outside West, you're seeing a lot more increase in behavior. So I think it's only going to be a matter of time before they figure it out. Uh, Mark is always more about trying to figure out consumer usage first before layering and monetization and WhatsApp is really killing it. So it's still killing it in terms of usage. It's as a as a proxy for future revenue potential though, it's it's an interesting question around is it, you know, is it uh, I mean the the truth of the matter is if they were to buy it today, it still probably would be more expensive, uh, just based on the usage pattern. Uh, but it's totally disconnected right now to any any view on monetization. If that may change uh, if they try and do some of this uh, replication that that I think they're trying with. with yeah, I think they tried a few things. I think, you know, the press has reported, number one, you know, the WhatsApp, you know, team came from a very different cultural place on monetization. And I think now Facebook is probably going to try and like move them a little faster. Second is, uh, I don't think they figured out the exact format or earlier point. Like WeChat has so much infrastructure behind it and they haven't totally really figured out what the equivalent of them WhatsApp is. But I give them time. I never bet against Mark. Uh, I think it's a fantastic product. Uh, my parents, everyone uses it every single day. You know, it's going to work out for them. One, I, one platform, I think we've discussed every platform in the U.S. and Asia. Um, it, we're all over the world at this point, but Pinterest has not come up yet. Um, where do they fit in in the advertising um, and monetization um, uh, opportunity? What what's what's your guys' view on them um, as a platform and what their growth potential is? I mean, it's they're nice in terms of a uh, aspirational uh, platform. Question: What happens in a down economy? Um, people may have bigger, greater aspirations uh, 
but um, I don't get a sense that it's totally connected uh, yet uh, on the direct response uh, side of the equation. Um, they also, uh, unlike say a platform like House that has done um, an interesting job of creator monetization, um, they've uh, they've gone about it a little bit slower uh, way, thinking about these uh, folks more as advertisers than than creators on the platforms. Um, so I don't know what happens in a down economy. Um, it's a, it's a, it, it, the one thing that's for sure is that it is a unique platform. Um, right. but, uh, you know, when you talk and utterly to people, they do use it for, uh, house redesigns, for example. I mean, in a down economy right now, uh, I can't imagine much of that is gonna, is gonna happen. In fact, I think home buying and selling as a, as a whole right now probably goes on, goes on an extended pause. So, um, you know, interesting to see what happens with a platform like that. Uh, it may be the case that the usage goes through the roof because uh, it just gets easier to imagine aspirational things, um, but they're harder to reach, harder. Afford. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to pin like the, the next block over, which I can't get to right now. And aspirational <laughs> for me to go get there. It, it, I think Pinterest faces pressure from two directions. On one direction, they have large platforms like Instagram, which have bookmarks, you know, which already have such a large audience and which can kind of take away some of the, hey, I want to create a personal scrapbook of things I care about. Uh, Instagram kind of built that functionality. So one is you're going to see these large platforms, you know, take some of that behavior away. The second, to Adam's point, you have these niche focused products like House, which are like, hey, if you're in the you know, like I want to send my, you know, husband, my wife, you know, all these photos of the house we're going to go buy, you know, you now send them on house. So I think they face pressure from both uh, directions. So uh, I don't know. I think on the other hand, they're such a unique product, unique platform. I use it. They're also unique in the sense that they have such a strong female driven audience. Um, I think they have a much higher ratio of women to men than I think any of the other large platforms, if I remember. And that's pretty unique. So there's a lot of value there. They're a really interesting product, but they face a lot of pressure from two directions. Why don't we just end with one last question? I know, Adam, you got to go. Um, and we've had everyone online for over an hour. But just real quick, home fitness. I know you're an early investor in Tonal. I know we can't see it in the room, I don't think. But early investor in Tonal. Adam, look at how fit he is. Just look at him. He's probably wearing his Adam shoes as well, I bet. Oh, God. Tone, oh, God. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. So For a second, it, I, was, I was wondering whether like, Adam's going like, to just flash his ass or something. But yeah. Free impression. Um, so I, I guess just both of you, I'd be curious, when you think about Peloton, Tonal, the mirror, you've got Obey, like every, obviously these activities, I'm sure, are exploding in the current environment. But just curious, like, how do you think about these subscription businesses with, with or without equipment? How important is the equipment aspect to it? And just sort of why, why the cat, what, what you thought, what attracted you to the category in the first place? Yeah, for me. Uh, so I got involved with tonal. Uh, and for those that don't know what tonal is, it's, um, uh, essentially I'll use, uh, analogy. It's Peloton for, for strength and, and conditioning for weightlifting essentially. So it's a, a product that hangs on your wall, um, there's, uh, instructional content that comes across and allows you to, to work out. Um, I got involved with the company, uh, right after I left Twitter, partly because I wanted to lose, uh, because I wanted to learn hardware. What I ended up realizing is that this product is an amazing kind of merge of hardware, software, and content. 
Um, and once you, it takes a little bit to, to kind of get up the learning curve, but once you work out on a tonal, it's hard to imagine going back into a, um, more traditional mode of working out that's pre COVID. I think we're this moment that we're having right now is one of these things that, you know, it certainly is for video conferencing and zoom. It certainly is for homeschooling. And I think it certainly is. Uh, for any of these home workout uh, apps and, and products. Um, it's hard to imagine going back to anything other than uh, this way of doing. They're all uh, experiencing record, and I mean just bonkers records of uh, orders. I think most of them are selling out or close to selling through. They have an issue right now where most of them require home install, right? So Peloton, for example, Tonal does. And so the question is, I see Peloton stopped. Oh, well, no, Peloton stopped the tread installation yeah. because they couldn't do right. it. The yeah. bike they so dropped it, outside my house. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. In general, do you feel comfortable with an installer coming in your house and piercing the bubble that you've set up for the last, you know, 18 days or whatever? So, my wife um, was not comfortable. Yeah, there you go. So that's why you're hiding out in your shoe closet. Um, But I do think, (laughs) yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, the the gym companies overall, um, it already was uh, painful to deal with a a gym. If you've ever tried to cancel your 24-hour fitness subscription, for example, you'll see the worst of uh, customer service at work there. Um, but I think now um, you're gonna see a, a whole movement around at home uh, in a pretty meaningful way. That's also, by the way, I do think um, post COVID, you are gonna see a lot of uh, movement around homeschooling or supplemental education there. And so I do think it's gonna keep a set of parents uh, closer to home. And as a result, these things are gonna work because it allows you to work out on your own on your own time. These, by the way, they're also, um, even pre-COVID, they had figured out TV advertising, this entire category. So if you turn on TV, you'll see Peloton ads and tonal ads and mirror ads and the like. How to convert TV to actual, drive yeah. the actual product off the shelf. Yeah, because this is one of those products where TV advertising really helps tell the story of what the product is and why it's good. Um, Maybe even, by the way, more so than for Tonal, even than than Peloton and the like, because you have to actually see it uh, to understand how to use it. Um, With Peloton, it's a bike with an iPad kind of, you know, smashed on it uh, at the very end at installation. For Tonal, because it's hardware, software, and and content all mixed together, and it unlocks uh, in that way. You know, you're struggling with a weight. Uh, It kicks in auto-spotting as the result. You know, that's hard. And the person on the screen tells you that we're going to spot you right now. So that's like a great example of hardware mixing with software, mixing with content, just to have a really cool user experience. By the way, at the end of this, Adam is going to drop in his personal, like, affiliate code. You know, for all the viewers who are going to buy a tunnel right now. <laughs> it, uh, you, you guys have been amazing. Uh, we've, I know I promise I get you off in time to make your next call. Is there anything Sri Ram wants to plug since Adam got to plug something? What investment uh, you want to plug? <laughs> I have nothing except, you know what? I, I am looking forward to WrestleMania this weekend. So uh, <laughs> if you find yourself some, with some free time, uh, First, WrestleMania, too big for one day. It's going to be over two days. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be amazing matches coming up. How are they, watch it. How are they doing How are they doing WrestleMania? There's no audience? 
Yes, it's fascinating. So they are, uh, one is, it's all been taped. So it's actually not a live event anymore. Um, and they've shot it in their, a couple of facilities, their, their uh, performance uh, facility they have in Florida. And it's going to, I, I, I heard some rumors on the internet. Uh, it's never been done before. They have a lot of interesting storylines and matches. Oh, love that. Uh, it's going to be great. And so first time ever, WrestleMania over two days, uh, go watch that. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to learn overall, like, what happens with sports or events without fans. I mean, Cuban talked about it a week ago with us. Like, he goes, look, at the end of the day, no one's going to care. It's better than nothing right now. We're right. craving <laughs> content. It's funny, but, you know, Rich jokes about me being a huge fan of WWE, but, you know, it's one of the few pieces of live content up on TV. I think it's going to be interesting to see if we play an NBA season. You guys already wrote about, I think, college football uh, and NFL, but whether you're going to see these uh, uh, bubble um, strategies where literally the entire league puts themselves in a protective bubble, probably in hotels in Vegas, and then end up playing uh, basketball games, for example, um, played out where they've uh, it involves uh, no audience, um, the teams basically live uh, together, eat together, practice together, and ultimately play games in a protective bubble. People are tested before they go play um, and whether that's a way to, to go run the season. By the way, that's like incredible reality programming. So it probably will perform even right. better, <laughs> even better than traditional live sports. I mean, there, 30 there days ago, I would have said... shoulder content <laughs> that could be made for that. Only doing this in you could have a real, the real world of the NBA, where you, yeah. just, you just mix up players and stick them in a room together and see what happens. They all do this in China, by the way. So one last thought I'll leave you in is, yeah. it's very unclear how the country comes back online after COVID. And one question is going to be, how do we know who's already had the virus and who's recovered and who hasn't. China has all these crazy, uh, you know, or multiple colors to kind of give you a sense of their, your infection status. <laughs> I, I wonder whether, you know, we wind up being like, hey, you know, we need a premium on people who've already been infected to get them to, I don't know, play the, play the NBA first. It's going to be, so there's going to be some really weird things, I think, happening over the next few months. You guys have been amazing with your time. Very generous. Please stay safe, sheltered, and uh, we hope to talk to you again very soon. Thanks, all. Thank Thanks, you guys. guys.